I want to uh, speak this morning. This is Father's Day, and I want to speak especially to all of our fathers. I'm going to address my message today to you, because if there's anything that I appreciate, and I believe that God appreciates is men, especially men who live for God and men who have committed themselves to walk with God and to serve him. And uh, I want to talk to you about something that I read in the book of Ecclesiastes several many years ago, and I still uh, read it from time to time. But Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was supposed to be one of the smartest men that ever lived on the face of the earth. God gave him great wisdom. And his, the peak of his period of time of being the king of Israel, uh, they were at their they were at their peak of prosperity and blessings and goodness and the love of God. Everything was just really, really well for Israel during Solomon's reign. He reigned for 40 years. He followed his father, David, who was King David. And uh, during his reign, he wrote the book of uh, Song of Solomon. They said he wrote that in his youth and uh, Proverbs in his middle years and then Ecclesiastes in his late years. This is what uh, Bible scholars often say about him. And when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is obvious that Solomon is trying and was trying to find the answers to life. He was trying to find what was the answers to life. And he even starts out by saying, I have tried everything in the world. I've looked at everything. I have, I have went every direction to try to find what is the answer to life? And he says, I, I tried to do it from the foolish man's side of it, from the folly side. I tried to do it from the wise side. I tried to do it from the intellectual, from the studying of many books. I tried to do it from the carefree side. And each time he would talk about these areas, then he would say, and then he'd come to a conclusion. I want to read some of these conclusions to you. And this is what Solomon came up with, and I'm presenting this only as a position that Solomon came to, not where we are today, but where Solomon came to. I'm reading here from, for instance, Ecclesiastes 2.24. says, there is nothing better. He came to this conclusion, therefore, after all of this studying and trying to figure it all out, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. In other words, that's pretty well the best thing you can do. And after a little bit more discussions and searchings and so forth, in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, this is the very next chapter in Ecclesiastes in verse 22. He said, wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? In other words, just enjoy life and, uh, you know, enjoy your family, enjoy the times together. He goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. 
And this is what Solomon kept coming to the conclusion on. Conclusion on. I'm only reading probably about four of these scriptures. There's more than that in this book. And then finally I'm reading here in chapter 8, verse 15. He says, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. And I'm reading these verses of Scripture to show you here that this was the best that Solomon could come up with for all of us. This is what he came up with. You know, with, what is life? What's it all about? Where are we going in life? And Solomon says, the best I can tell you is just be a good man. Work hard. Take care of your family. Enjoy the blessings of your home. Enjoy the barbecues and the banquets and your family get-togethers. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your grandchildren. And then one day you just lay it all down and you die. And you work hard all of your life. This was Solomon's view of it all. The best I can tell you is that this is all that you can do. This is what you have to do. Praise the Lord. And then to make it matters worse, uh, he also knew that that scripture was in Genesis when Adam and Eve had sinned. And the Lord said to Adam, he said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And that's the best you can do. So just, you know, work hard, be a provider, be a protector for your family, be an instructor, be a guide, be a role model for your children and your grandchildren or whatever. And just do what all you can, do all that you can do. And then in the end, we've got to lay it all down and we just got to go on our way and we have to die. And that was the pretty well the best that they could tell a person. And I might just say this to all of our men here, and I'm talking to all the men here today. There is something better than that. There is something better than that. Praise the Lord. But that's all that they had. That's all that they had to, that was given to them. Work all your life, you know, do things, everything. But in the end, when it's all over with, then there's nothing else that you can do except to lay it all down. And then finally, of course, you just simply say, God, this is what uh, I'm going to do. Finally, over in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is writing, he refers to that attitude that the best I can do is just live a good life, maybe be a good man, you know, take care of my family, guide to direct them. But Paul, in writing in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 32, says, If after the, man, the manner of men I have fought with the beasts of Ephesus, that means those people that tried to shut him up and wouldn't let him preach the gospel. He said, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he was saying, in essence, if I did not have the resurrection as a whole, if I did not believe in the resurrection, what would there be? What would there be? And I'm going to say this to all of our men here today. You work all of your life. God bless you for that. That's our, that's our lot in life. We work all of our lives. We get up in the morning. We go to work. You wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. 
But if I had to read Solomon, I'd say, okay, that's fine. But when it's all over with, from the dust, I, from the earth I came, the dust I, to the earth I must return. I was made from the dust, I returned back to the dust. But Paul tells me, praise the Lord, that there is a hope beyond all of that. There's something beyond all of that. And I want to talk to you about that something and what the Lord has provided and given us. That nobody has to be so futile in life as to say what happens after this life. I'm here to tell you, praise the Lord, I don't care how hard you work, what you go through, how tough things might be for any guy in here. I'm telling you, praise the Lord, if you know the Lord and you've got God in your heart and you walk with him, there is something, praise the Lord, for us that is beyond our wildest imaginations and knowledge and understanding of until we get to the other side. And that's what the Lord has provided for us and what the Lord, praise the Lord, has given us. Amen. I, uh, I remember that uh, when I was a boy, I was about six years old. I never forget this day as long as I live. I was, uh, I was six years old and it was Sunday afternoon and my dad, I was with my dad. We were washing the car, family car. We had a nice home in Pensacola and, and it was a happy day and we were out washing the car. We had gotten through washing it. Now we were drying it off. And I never forget as we drove it off, my dad rolled one, the windows down in the car and he turned the radio on and he kept wiping the bumpers and the hubcaps and finishing up the final touches. And as we listened to the music, all of a sudden the music stopped and there was a voice that came on the radio and I will never forget this as long as I live. I don't know what he said, but I saw the expression on my father's face change. All of a sudden, he became very serious and all of a sudden, very sober looking. And he said to me, son, let's get through. Let's go in the house. I knew something had happened. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what December the 7th, 1941, was all about on that afternoon. That was the day it was. But we, he had just heard on the report on the radio that it meant nothing to me. I didn't even put it together that Japan had just bombed uh, Pearl Harbor and that America was at war. And now our world was turned upside down, upside down. It would not be upside down to me. It would be right side up because I never knew what it was to be in a, in a time of which there was no war. It was like that was the way things were. But I will remember from there, my father went into the shipyard building, building, you know, helping to build ships and boats and things. There were shipyards all up and down that Gulf Coast. And that's what my dad did. He was always out there. He was working, you know, long hours. And he was working and working and always there and gone. I never knew, but I knew he was out there. He was working. And he worked and he worked. And they were so, they worked so hard. They were commissioned by the government to build one, uh, one ship a day. They had to build one ship a day. America built one ship a day. And while, and while they went to putting these ships in the water and carrying supplies across over to England and, and uh, to our soldiers fighting in the Pacific and all of that, and here he was involved in working, 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 and so forth. But he was always out there working. And I'm telling you that because this is a man's world. This is the man's world. And uh, while he was doing all of those things, uh, my dad just uh, learned that 
you just uh, you give it all you've got. He'd come home sometimes at night and uh, we, he'd play a game with us. Listen to this. Maybe some of you men can identify with it. He'd play a game with us and uh, he'd lay down on the floor and my sister, there's four of us, but these are only the two of us were at that time young, my older sister, who's now passed on. Her and I were little kids and uh, I was the oldest of the two of us. We we're a year and a half apart. And my dad would just lay down on the floor and he'd close his eyes and he'd peek at us like that, you know. And we'd come up there and we'd get a feather and we'd tickle his nose because like he's going to sleep. And then he'd reach out and grab us and we'd squeal, run and everything. And then he'd release us and everything. We'd all run back. And then he'd close his eyes again. He'd lay there and be very still, very still. And we'd slip up and we'd try to tickle his nose or something and everything just to torment him without him catching us, but then he'd open his eyes and he'd grab us, and we played this game. And years later, I found myself doing that with my own kids. I did. You know why? And I found out why my dad did. He was tired. <laughs> I'd come in from work and I'd be so tired. And I said, man, I'm gonna lay down on the floor here and I'll close my eyes for a few minutes. And I know they're going to play and they're going to come around and they're going to pick at me and they're going to tickle me and they're going to try to get something going. I'll reach out and grab and they'll squeal, run away. Then I'll close my eyes and I'll relax there a few minutes. And while I was doing those things, I said, Dad, now I understood why you did that. Because it was the lot of a man. It was okay. But that's what you did. That's what you did. And so all of these things and all through those war years and finally after the war years, uh, my dad and my uncle uh, went into the construction business and they went to Miami and, and finally moved our family down there and building boom going like crazy and in that hot Florida sun, I mean like you wouldn't believe, they were plastering and building and doing work and building schools and houses and hotels and, and, uh, and apartment buildings and there's a building boom like you wouldn't believe and it went on for years and they worked in that hot sun, and they worked, and they worked in doing all of that. And all through his life, praise the Lord, he said, that's my lot in life. And as I grew up, and I, of course, went off to Bible school at 17 years old, and I began to finally got married, and I preached the gospel. I'd say, Dad, there's more to life than just working all your life. And he said, I know, son, but that's a man's role. That's a man's lot in life. And uh, my mother would say to him, Honey, anytime you want to go to church, I want you to go with me. He said, all right. She'd say sometimes, come on, go to church with me. He'd say, no, I don't think I will. I'm going to stay home. Come on, she'd say another time, go to church with me. Finally, one day she said, I'm never going to ask you again to go to church with me. But I will tell you this, anytime you want to go, all you have to say is, I'm going with you. Wait, let me get dressed or whatever. I'll stop and wait for you to get ready and we'll go together. And so sure enough, that day came. I was, I was married, my wife, and we had Denise as a baby. We were up north and I heard later heard about the story. Listen to this closely. I heard the story about it. And uh, my mother said, uh, she's going out the door. He said, wait, I'm gonna go with you. And uh, she says, uh, I'm going, we, they're in the revival. She said, I'm going to, this was in Miami. And this is a church now, Brother Hattaball, a pastor's that church, same church Brother Rooks did back in those days. And uh, he said, wait a minute, I'm going to change clothes, I'm going with you. 
And when he got to church, they went in and sat down, and when they introduced the evangelist, it was a woman preacher. And my father detested women preachers. Now listen to me. He did not like women preachers. He looked at my mother and he said, why didn't you tell me you had a woman preacher here? He, in other words, I wouldn't have come. And so she never said anything. And he sort of was a little bit miffed. But when I later got in the pulpit and she preached, I'm telling you, she set that place on fire. Her name was Sister Willie Johnson from uh, West Virginia. Anybody, any of you old timers ever heard of Sister Willie Johnson? Okay, I see, I see a few hands. Okay, I see several hands. You know, you know she was a fireball. Okay, she was a fireball. And uh, so they went home after church. My dad never said anything. That night he said, I'm going back to church with you. <laughs> she said, I thought you didn't like women preachers. He said, well, she's a little different. <laughs> he went to church that night. She preached him to the altar. He repented of his sins, prayed through, and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Under a woman preacher. Now listen to this. Next day he went to work. He had, my dad smoked cigarettes all of his life. He never drank. He's a good man, always respected, always loved his family, respected everybody. But he went to church went to work the next day, and he just had to have those cigarettes. He started smoking cigarettes again all day. And next day on Tuesday, did the same thing. He said, I don't have a victory over this thing. She said, well, we gotta go back to church. Sister Willie Johnson's still there Tuesday, we'll go back to church. He said, all right, I'll go back. So, he came down to the altar when they said, anybody needs something, something special, you need to be prayed for. He came down to the altar, he stood there. Sister Willie Johnson said to, she's the evangelist now, she said to my dad, she says, what do you have need of? I got the Holy Ghost Sunday night, but he says, I didn't get over the smoking habit. I still got the smoking habit. She says, you have? She looked him right straight in the eye. She says, Brother Myers, you got a, a cigarette demon in you, and we're going to cast that out. And he said, really? <laughs> he, she said, lift both hands. He later told me about it. Later, my mother said to me, ask your father how he got delivered from cigarettes. <laughs> so, and this is what he told me. She said to him, lift both your hands. And whenever he lifted both his hands, she put one hand on his head and the other she slammed into his throat like that. <laughs> and his eyes popped open. He thought, what's going to happen now? And she said, cigarette demon, tobacco demon, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave this man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And man, he says, while she was praying for him with her hand on his head and her hand in her throat, he said, I felt a big belch. This is him now telling his own story. I felt a big belch. You know, he was all around, he was all around church stuff all of his life, but never gotten saved. He said, I felt this big belch come up. 
And I went, and he just belched out, embarrassing almost. And he says it tasted like wet tobacco when it happened. And he was embarrassed and felt like he needed to apologize to her for belching almost in her face. And she says, you've been delivered. The devil's gone. Don't ever smoke again. Don't ever touch one. He told me, he said, son, when I walked out of there that night, he said, I have never had the desire for a cigarette. I'm telling you folks what God can do. Praise the Lord. God can turn things around in your life. Praise the Lord. He can make things happen. You might get saved and you may have the Holy Ghost, but I want you to know God can give you deliverance from everything and all things. Praise the Lord. And I just want you to know here for every man that's here, God wants you, praise the Lord, to walk with God in truth and spirit. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to have everything, hallelujah, that God has for you. Hallelujah. Let me just point out something to you here today. I'm talking to our men here. There's two things in the world that God, that God established. And the devil will fight those two things. You can look for it. I guarantee you, I promise you, he'll oppose it and fight it all of your life and mine and all of his existence. He will. He'll fight it. One is the family. Did you know that God created a family? Yeah, he did. He took a rib from Adam's side and made a wife, gave it to him, Eve. And he gave Eve and says, here's your wife. Took it from his side. He didn't take a bone out of his foot. Everybody with me? He didn't take a bone out of his head. He took it next from his heart. And he said, now here's your helpmate. And she is your wife. And so he created the family. God created the family. Praise the Lord. And uh, this was what he had done. He had created. And this is what Satan attacked. And this is what Satan attacks today. Because the family is what God had created. That's why you'll have troubles in your family. Because Satan will attack the family. He don't want men to be married to women. He doesn't want families to be together. He doesn't want you to have a family and raise your children. I'm not preaching anybody here today. I don't know of anybody that I'm even, even close to what I'm saying. But I'm just saying God wants us, praise the Lord, to understand, man, we have to fight for our families. Amen. You've got to fight for your family. Praise the Lord. You've got to fight to retain your family. Amen. Wives, we have to fight for the family. Because that's what Satan will attack. Because if he can uh, break up the family, he can break up what God established in the very beginning of time. The Lord did that. God did that. And families have been in existence from the beginning of time. And Satan has always tried to attack it. I'm going to say this for what it's worth too. That's why perversion. That's why perversion is what it is. It's an attack on the family. The Lord didn't make a woman didn't make a companion to, to Adam and say, his name is Steve. He said his na her name is Eve. You got it? All right. And that's the way God intended for it to be. Praise the Lord. I'm just trying to say here that we as men, we as men and fathers, we got to fight for our family. 
You got to fight for your children. The devil will try to pluck them out of the family. They'll try to get them off out in the world and out in sin and out in drugs and out in the alcohol and all kinds of mess. You got to fight this pornography stuff. Men, you've got to fight it. We have to fight it. I don't mean fight it for ourselves. If you've got to fight it for yourself, fight it for yourself. But I'm just saying, make sure that your children and your sons don't ever get into that mess. But we have to fight for our families, praise the Lord, because God has given us that responsibility as men. Hallelujah. And then God gave words to support and strengthen the family. That's why there's all kinds of things. Do it this way. Do it that way. Always do this. Always do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's why those things are. Those are words. And Satan will attack the word of God. That's what he attacks is the word. He can't attack God, so he attacks his word. And he'll try to attack the family. The second thing that Satan will try to attack is the second thing that God instituted. And that is the church. That's the church. Two things God instituted. The family and the church through Jesus Christ. And he said, upon this rock, Jesus said this to, to Peter, upon this rock and his disciple, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It'll try and the gates of hell will try, but it'll never prevail. The church will always be here. And for 2,000 years, it's still here. And it'll always be here. That's why you want to stay in the church. Stay with the church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Paul wrote one place. Don't forsake the church. Don't forsake coming together. But we come to the house of God. Praise the Lord. That's where we sometimes say, Lord, I've got to get everything on the right track. This is where we sometimes say, Lord, speak to my heart and my soul. I've gone to church and said, and before I went and said, God, let that preacher talk to me tonight. I've said it. Let that preacher preach to me. I need to hear from you. And lo and behold, if he didn't get in the pulpit and preach right down the line to me, and I thought to myself, Lord, you have absolutely given him what I needed to hear. Sometimes I may have wanted to hear it like this, but God wanted me to hear it like this. Praise the Lord. But he gave me what I needed. Hallelujah. Because God has ordained the church. And brethren, you've got to fight for the house of God and the things of God and the right things of the Lord. You've got to stand for holiness. You've got to stand for righteousness. You've got to stand for the love of God. Praise the Lord. That's the man's role. That's what we have to do. Praise the Lord. That's how we fight these things. We fight it through prayer. We fight it through faithfulness. And we, we fight it through throwing aside all the temptations that come our way. And the old devil will come around and this and that. And you say, get from around, devil, get out of here. God rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And you go right on walking with God and living for God and serving the Lord and going to church. And don't go to church and just sit there like a bump on the log. You say, oh, I'm a man. The ones who are emotional, they're the ones that get around and jump around and shout and raise their hand and Amen. say loud voices and all that kind of stuff. If that's the case, then I'm one of those. Yes, because sir. sometimes I just, I just can't hold, I can't keep it back. I got to shout a little bit. I got to shout it out. But I'm just trying to say here, don't be one of those kind of men. Because your sons and your daughters need to see you praising the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. 
I can remember as a boy going to Pentecostal Sunday school. And I went to all kinds, went to the Baptist, Methodist, Nazarenes, you name them, Seventh-day Adventists, I went to all kinds. I'd go to those Pentecostal churches though, and man, those people would begin to worship. And I can still remember sitting on my little seat and me looking up and seeing those people with their hands raised and grown men, grown men, I mean with, I mean with calluses all over their hands. These grown men with their hands lifted toward heaven and tears running down their eyes, hallelujah, worshiping God because they knew that God had given them everything that they had and they had nothing without him, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is great and greatly to be praised, hallelujah. And he deserves all of our worship and all of our praise together. And it's all because Jesus helped us and fought our battles for us that we might be saved so that we don't have to be as Solomon's recommendations. It's not just live a good life, do the best you can, hang in there, and then when it's all overdone, we sort of hang up our cleats and we say, well, that's the end of the road and it's all over with. No, no, no. Because Jesus, praise the Lord, made a way where there's no way. Amen. He opened some doors. I, I want to show you some things in the scriptures. There is a scripture in, I think it's in Jeremiah, where the Bible talks about, uh, let me read it to you, Jeremiah 3 and 4. The Lord is talking to Israel here. He says, Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father? Look at this word. He says, my father. Cry unto me, my father. Thou art the guide of my youth. Then over in verse 19 of that same third chapter of Jeremiah. And he's talking here about the restoration of Israel. He says, but I said, this is God speaking, I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage? In other words, I want to give you back everything that you lost, but how can I do all of that? The host of nations. And I said, thou shalt call me my father, my father. And this is a very key place here. He said, my father and shall not turn away from thee. And the Lord was saying, you've got to cry, my father. And this is what Jesus did when he came. He, taught, he tried to tell those Pharisees and Sadducees, you have to pray when you say, my father, which is in heaven. And he would say, say, my father, call on the Lord. Well, they said, hey, we have Abraham to our father. That's all right. As long as Abraham was in touch with God and we are his descendants, that's all that matters. And they never went any further than that. But Jesus knew something, that God was waiting for them to say, my father. And I'm going to show you what, a, what my father equates out to be. Over in Matthew, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, and this is the only place that you see where he says, my father, in the sense of his prayers. He prayed, and a lot of times he'd say, oh, he'd say, heavenly father, or he'd say, father. But only here he said, oh, my father. He says it twice. Verse 39, and he went a little further told his disciples, you stay here, I'm going to go a little further. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not I will, but thy will be done, not my will. I like the word nevertheless, it shall never be less than God's perfect will. That's what Jesus was saying. It shall never be less, however, than your perfect will. 
And then he came back, looked at the men, and went back a little further. Now, this is not the only thing that he prayed. John speaks of, he goes on for chapters of where Jesus prayed and what he prayed and what he said. And then he goes on to say here in verse 42, and he went away again the second time. I'm still here in Matthew. Went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And so Jesus was submitting his will to the Lord, and he was saying, My Father. Now, the word my Father here is very significant. When Mark records, records the same thing that Luke record, that Matthew records, Mark says it like this. This is what Mark says. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed. This is the Garden of, of Gethsemane now, just before Jesus was crucified. Fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And that Abba, Father, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but that will be done. Same thing that Matthew only, Mark doesn't say, my father. He says, Abba, Father. And the word Abba, Father means daddy or my father, special for me. In other words, God is particular and specially for me. Uh, in the 23rd Psalm, you, most of us know that, the Lord is my shepherd. And I read that one time, and I, it just occurred to me. David did not say the Lord is our shepherd. That that's, would be right. But he said the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm going to say this to every one of us, and especially to all of our men I'm speaking to, particularly here today. We must make God our, personally, my father. I know he's our father, but we must make him my father. The Lord is my shepherd. Praise the Lord. And that's what he said in the 23rd Psalm. Here uh, he says, Abba, Father. He uses the word Abba, Father. And when he said Abba, Father, and he said my father, it means this. It's far-reaching. Believe me, and I'll show you in Scripture here in just a moment. It's far-reaching when you make God your personal God. And you make him, praise the Lord, to be your personal father in heaven. He is your friend. Whenever you make God all of those things, praise the Lord, you also invoke the heritage factor involved in father, what he passes from father to son. You see, he was saying, I want to invoke the heritage of the son. Jesus was saying that when he said, Abba, Father. You say, oh, Brother Myers, I don't think it means that. Let me show you scripture in the Bible. Let me show you. I'm reading over here in Romans 8, 15. Paul understood what he meant when he said, my father, Abba, father. Verse 15 here, 8, 15 of, of, of uh, Romans. For if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, father. Look at that. You cry, Abba, father, spirit of adoption. The spirit itself uh, searcheth bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And what he was saying here is that if we say Abba Father, and Jesus said Abba Father, and we can make God our personal father, personal, very indefinite, close, 
and we are a child of God, then what Jesus became the heir of, and that's why Jesus prayed in that garden. He said, Father, he said, glorify me with the glory that I had with thee in the beginning. In other words, that that you were going to give me, now give it to me. What, what are we talking about, Brother Marsh? I'm talking about the resurrection of the body. And Jesus died on the cross, and he was put in the tomb. And I will tell you this, that Jehovah Witnesses do not believe in the resurrection. They will tell you that. They, they, they don't. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I mean, I'm not saying nothing. They don't tell you. They don't believe in the resurrection. They believe in the crucifixion. And if you ever look at their Easter's advertisements, it's all about the crucifixion, but never the resurrection. I asked them one time, what happened to the body of Jesus? They said, we don't know. I said, I do. I do. I can show you the Bible what happened. He came forth. Praise the Lord. Jesus came forth in a, in a resurrected body. And when he ascended into heaven, he was glorified. That's why when Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, he was brighter than the noonday sun. He had a glorified body. And Jesus will have that from now on. He's alive forevermore. And you and I, hallelujah, are joint heirs with him. If we can say, Father, you are our personal father. And I want to encourage every man here, get as close to God as you can. Draw nigh unto him and he will draw nigh unto you. Praise the Lord. Let me give you another verse of Scripture. You say, oh, well, that's a strange verse over there. And he goes on to talk about the spirit of adoption, which is the giving us the glorified body. Praise the Lord. When it's all over with, it's not just saying, oh, live a good life. And when it's all over with, you know, back to the earth you go. Yeah, but the Lord said, praise the Lord, I'm going to raise you up. Hallelujah. I'm going to raise you up. This is what he says over here in, uh, in this other verse I wanted to show you here. This is in uh, Romans 8. It's in Galatians, I believe it is. Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Let me read this to you. And I know my time's gone. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law. Said he sent him out into the world. That's how he sent the son. Sent him out in the world made of woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. What's the adoption? That means that this body that is of the earth earthly, that must return to the earth, it's adopted into the heavenly body. We do not yet know how we shall be, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that the resurrection, praise the Lord, there is the resurrection not only of the soul and the spirit, the soul and spirit is already with Christ, but at the resurrection, there's going to be the resurrection of the body as well. Praise the Lord. So that God came. Jesus through God. God through Jesus came. And here's what is. Let me finish reading this. The made a woman. He said, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so what Jesus received, you can receive. And I'm trying to tell you here today, folks, what a wonderful hope we have. What a wonderful reward. Uh, Jesus Christ through his agony in Gethsemane and his suffering on the cross opened the door, praise the Lord, that his body that was earthly might be glorified and in doing so became the first fruits of them that slept. And you and I, praise the Lord, if we will be in Christ, 
and love the Lord. Hallelujah. And walk with God. Be baptized in his name. First, repent of your sin. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And be filled with his spirit. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. Praise the Lord. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain. The only thing dead is the body. The spirit and the soul goes back to God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That soul and spirit shall be united with the body. But it's not the same body that was buried. And Paul talks about that in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He said, how can, how can they work out a body? And he goes on to say, it's, it's a glorified body. We're not the same body. God changes all of that. I'm going to say this for all of you. I don't care what your handicaps are. I don't care what your problems. You can have arthritis in your hands. You can have uh, bad knees. We had a lady in our church, praise the Lord, that was, uh, had polio when she was a little girl. And I remember she used to come to church. And one night, day she came to church, and God healed her of the polio. And she could walk. She was confined to a wheelchair. And she could walk after that. But the Lord said, I'll never take away the affliction that you've got all your life. But she could always walk from that time on. Now, why did God do that? Because he wanted her to always remember, praise the Lord, that you have a condition that I know of. But one day over there, you'll have a glorified body. I don't know. You, you know, we've got our aches and pains. But one of these days, God's going to give us a glorified body. And I want you men especially to know this. Praise the Lord. Don't just drift through life. and Don't follow Solomon's way of life. But say, Jesus, you came, praise the Lord, to bring me deliverance. You came to bring me hope. You came to bring me eternal life. You came, praise the Lord, to bring me a, a, a hope, praise the Lord, in the resurrection of the dead. And if Jesus rose again, so shall we. And just as he was the Son of God, you and I are joint heirs with him. And what he received as the Son of God, we will receive as the sons of God. All of us, praise the Lord. This is not just the men and women and everybody. But I'm just saying here to all of our men today, hallelujah, let God change your life. Let him do something in your life and heart that nothing else can do, praise the Lord. Don't just say, I'm just going to do the best I can because that's just really not enough. It's not what it's all about. When Jesus came to bring it all for us. And I have a special, and I want you to stand with me at this time, and I have a special request I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask all of our men just to come up and stand around the altar here this morning. God love you. If anybody's here and you don't, you haven't been baptized, you want to be baptized, I want you to just come up here on the platform and we'll find somebody to baptize you in the name of Jesus. we got a baptistry back there that's got good warm water. And I want every man in the house just to come up and stand here. Praise the Lord. God bless these men. Praise the Lord. All of you young people and all, I mean all of uh, young men come up to. All of you ladies, God bless you. Just come up and push in close. There's others coming in behind you. But I want us to pray together. And I want us to say, God, help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me to be 100% the man that you want me to be. And I'm telling you what, the kingdom of God needs us to be that. He needs us. He needs us to fight for the church. He needs us to fight for the home. He needs you to stand for righteousness. Hallelujah. And there's nothing in the world that God honors any more than that. Now I'm going to ask all you ladies to just come in and come on down a little closer and come around behind these men. We have some music here. God bless you, ladies. 
God bless you people. Hallelujah. You'll never know how much the Lord loves us. And he wants every one of us to be saved. And he wants you to walk streets of gold one day. And one day we will. We'll walk streets of gold. Hallelujah. All you ladies, come on. All you ladies, come on. Praise the Lord. Come on down. Just push on down. Go into the pews there if you want to. I want you to pray for the men that's ahead of you. Just pray for all of them. You've got a husband or if you've got a father or you've got a, just a friend, pray for him. Praise the Lord. Would you lift your hands? And as the pastor said, let's not just clap our hands, but let's lift our hands and let's lift our voices unto the Lord. Will you right now? Just call on the Lord. Tell Jesus you love him. Tell the Lord you want to go to heaven one day. You want to walk streets of gold. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your wonderful name. Bless every man in this house. Bless every man in this congregation. Oh, Lord, bless these that walk with you, Lord. Bless these that have walked with you for many years. Bless you, please, Lord, that have walked with you, Lord, for just a few months. But, Lord, bless those, God, that have chosen to be a child of God and to serve you all the days of their lives. Oh, God, let your spirit be upon them. Let the Holy Ghost guide them and direct them, Lord. Oh, Lord, we are nothing without you. You are everything, Lord. God, you're our life, you're our breath, you're our strength. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're the one, Lord, that gives us existence. We would not exist without you, Lord. God, we praise your name. We exalt thy name. We glorify thy name. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. God bless these men. Bless them in the battles they fight. Bless them, God, in the struggles they have. God help them, Lord, to be strong in the faith. Strong in you. Strong, God. Keeping their trust in you, Jesus. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. God, to whom shall we go for thou Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God in your holy name, we love you, God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, God, we love you. We love you. Oh, Lord, bless these men. Bless them in their homes. Bless them on their jobs. God, bless the Lord in their everyday life. Keep your hand on them, Lord, in every situation. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, for your great love. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, oh, yes. 
would you lift your hand with me one more time and let's just worship God together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, and we love you and we praise you, Lord. Go with us this day, God. Keep your hand upon us. Guide us, lead us, direct us, and keep us. God, bless these men. If any of us, God, are not where we should be, we ask you, God, to prod our hearts. Talk to us, Lord. Deal with us, Lord, because we know you love us. Bless all the ladies in this congregation, Lord. Bless all the children. We thank you, Lord, for your body and the whole. In Jesus' precious and glorious name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless your hearts.